This morning's scripture comes out of Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered from them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord for us. Good morning, friends. It is a joy to be together this morning. Um, I want to say a heartfelt thank you to our church family. I walked through another episode of uh, back pain uh, in the past weeks and just so appreciate the outpouring of love and support and care for me and for my family. Um, It was a discouraging and challenging time, uh, and yet we felt very loved for, and uh, the Lord has a way of of shaping us through pain and suffering and hardship, and so I embrace that and say, yes, Lord. Um, But I was telling someone a while back, I think it was on day two or three, that I was like, I get it, Lord, I've learned. (laughs) I don't know, it has to be a week and a half, Um, but I I wanted to say a heartfelt thank you for all the ways that you helped us and supported us through this time, and we're just going to... We're going to press on um, and, and keep seeking the Lord and trusting him and the plan that he has for our lives. I want to begin this morning with a question. What would you do if you had a fresh start, if you had a clean slate, if you could begin again? And so I think for some of us, we automatically go to those financial decisions we made that, were, that didn't work out. We go, well, I would do that differently. Or for others, it's relationships. Like, well, I would have done this differently. I would have communicated differently, or maybe I would avoid it altogether. I would, no thanks, walk away. You maybe think of career choices you've made or the educational path that you ch- took. Or even more sobering, words that you said in anger that you can't take back. We all know we can't take back. But if you could do it over, you wouldn't say those words. Or maybe even seasons of life, maybe years spent walking in rebellion to God, knowing that you weren't weren't following his word, following his path, you were walking in rebellion, and the consequences that have come from that. And you think, if I could do it over again, I would be walking with Jesus during that time instead of walking away from him. Of course, we cannot go back in time. We can't undo those things. We can't change the past. Our journey through life is one that's filled with brokenness. We're imperfect people, and so we've not done things perfectly. But for those of us who know Christ, I think our story is one, yes, of brokenness, but ultimately of redemption. Isn't it? It's it's a story filled with brokenness, but also redemption because of Christ. So it's not that the Lord undoes all of your past mistakes or or your past hurts or struggles. It's that he restores you. It's that he heals you and he forgives you. In the Bible, God actually did give humanity a fresh start. 
So over the last several weeks, Jeremy preached a few different sermons on the flood and Noah's Ark. Human wickedness had reached its crescendo, and God says, enough. Every inclination of their hearts was evil. Violence was rampant. It was sort of just the, the rule of, of the day. It's like, you have conflict? Okay, I'm gonna, I know how to settle it. It's through violence. And the Lord says, enough. He's going he's gonna to send a flood to destroy the earth. But even then, in God's mercy, he doesn't wipe out humanity in its entirety. He keeps Noah and Noah's family safe in the ark. And when it's all said and done, he puts a rainbow in the sky as a sign of his great promise. That God holds true to his word. And he says, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to flood the earth again. And so... He was really given a clean slate. The Lord wiped it all out, except for no, except for that which he had preserved in the ark. He gave us a clean slate, a second chance to get things right. And so what did they do with their opportunity? Well, that's what we're going to learn about today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11, the passage that Ryan just read for us, this classic familiar Sunday school story of the Tower of Babel. And so we're going to see what happens with these people. So let me introduce myself. I'm John. Thrilled to be here this morning. I was not here the last three Sundays. Well, no, I was the one because we had Jeremy scheduled to preach, but I was not in the pulpit the last three Sundays. And so I'm grateful to be here sharing the word of God this morning. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 11. We're going to study this story together. So again, this happens after the floodwaters have receded. Noah makes it off the ark. We don't know the exact timeline on, on when this occurred. How long after the, the ark did it happen? We know that Noah and his family had been fruitful and multiplied. And so we now have more people populating the earth than just the immediate family of Noah. So let's go to verse 1. We're in Genesis chapter 11. The whole world had one language, it says, a common speech. I should also say, uh, if you're reading through, we're, our goal is to uh, preach through the entire book of Genesis this year. Um, so we're encouraging us, let's read through the book of Genesis. If you noticed in chapter 10, we're in chapter 11. If you noticed in chapter 10, it actually specifically mentions people spreading out and the formation of different languages. So to me, that says uh, that probably chapter 11 isn't chronologically following chapter 10. Um, so don't be confused by that. I don't think these two can, can occur chronologically based on the events described in chapter 10. So don't be confused by that. Okay, verse 2. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Okay, this is a fertile valley in Mesopotamia. It's in modern-day Iraq. And the people decided, this looks like a good place to build a city, build some towers, make it a center of of commerce and trade and thriving and, okay, but right here, again, fresh start, clean, clean slate for humanity, uh, and we won't, we won't get into Noah and all of his foibles this morning, but he, he's already had many issues. We have a problem, and here's the problem. The Lord had specifically told people to spread out. He had told them, okay, you got a fresh, clean start. It's time to, uh, uh, multiply, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, increase. So Genesis 9 and verse 7. Here's what the Lord says. 
I want you, this is to Noah, I want you and your descendants to have many children so people will live there on earth. He says this clearly. My goal is let's spread out. Let's cover the beauty of creation. You're to subdue it. And so by them cloistering together, saying, hey, this, this fertile valley looks like a great place for us to all just huddle together, circle the wagons, they're in rebellion to God. And you can see they don't want to obey the Lord. They don't want to fill the earth. They want to huddle together. They want to be the master of that which they can control. Like, we're going to create a civilization right here. Um, They're the kind of people, and maybe we can resonate with this, who like to stay in their comfort zone. (laughs) Like, this is my sphere, and so I want to stay here in my comfort zone with what I can control, and let's see what I can accomplish, because then I'm going to take credit for that. Ultimately, that's what we're going to see. Okay, so, verse 3. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. This is another red flag. It might not be readily um, obvious, but in my study of scripture, I don't find any place where the Lord instructs people to build with bricks. He tells them to use stones. Time and time and time again, when God is instructing people to build, he tells them to use stones. It's almost like brick represents human achievement. We know something of how bricks were made, uh, even in the ancient world, right? It was this painstaking process using clay and straw, and they were baked in the sun. I found in my studies they were typically even stamped with, each brick stamped with the insignia of the king or the emperor, the pharaoh, whoever was kind of the the person in charge. Each one painstakingly made. Remember the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt, what did they do? They made bricks. That was their work. Lots and lots and lots and lots of bricks. That's what they made. Now, when the Lord tells his people to build, he tells them to use stones. Like when he says, set up a memorial there. Like I've done something really good. I want you to take stones and set up a memorial. And then when your children and your children's children say, hey, what's that, that structure? What are those stones? Then you tell them. Oh, well, that's when the Lord did this. Like he parted the Red Sea and we crossed. And so the Lord tells them use stones. Or even when the Lord is constructing the temple, he gave very specific instructions for his temple, the place where they worshipped him. They used stone. I studied about that a little bit this week. They didn't even use any mortar in the construction of the temple. They used stones that were stacked together. In fact, they were cut with such precision You couldn't even fit a knife blade between the stones. They were cut so well, they fit together, they stacked together, like, perfectly. And the Lord had very specific instructions. The stones were to be cut, that is, like, chiseled, prepared, the rough edges smoothed off. That took place at the quarry, where where they got the stones, the rocks, which was a mile away from the temple, the building site. He had them do their chiseling at the quarry, and then they hauled the stones to the temple where they were then assembled, where they were then put together. First Kings 6 and verse 7 says, There was not the sound of a hammer or axe or any other tool in the t- at the temple site while it was being built. Now, why do I mention that? Because it's a really cool picture of our life in Christ that prepares us for heaven. 
It's a cool picture of us as living stones that need refined, that need chiseled, that need God's work in our life as he prepares us for what is to come. So these stones that God instructed them to use for the temple, the cutting and the refining, again, it happened at the quarry. They needed to be shaped. They needed to be fitted in just the right way so that when they arrived at the temple, it was fitting together seamlessly, perfectly, brilliantly, built into the structure of God's dwelling and God's presence. The Lord does his work of shaping and refining us now, this side of eternity, so that we will have a place with him for all of eternity. So 1 Peter 2, 5 has this teaching. If you stay for our Sunday school hour, you'll spend a, a little bit of time in these verses. But it talks about how we are living stones who are built into a spiritual house. Of course, we know Jesus is the cornerstone. Like the, the house, the temple, it, it's not built without Christ as the cornerstone. And again, in the New Testament, we are the temple. And so it's like when we arrive in the Lord's presence, there will be no more need for God to chisel to refine, to shape, to smooth away our rough edges, just as there was no sound of tools at the site of the temple being constructed in Jerusalem. There's no more shaping, there's no more pruning needed. But that's not true for the people in Genesis chapter 11. They still needed lots of pruning and correction and shaping, right? They needed God's discipline, and so he gives it to them. What does God do? Well, we all know the story. The Lord comes down to inspect and see what's going on here and says, no, nope, this can't be. I've told them to spread out and they've decided to huddle together. They're trying to build a tower for their own glory and their own fame. And so he thwarts their plans. He says, no, you're not going to build this great tower by doing what? Giving them different languages. So all of a sudden, it's like they're on the work site. I mean, I, I love playing this out. It's like they're on the work site, and someone's like, hey, hand me that, you know, give me the hammer. And the guy hands him a trowel. What? This isn't what I need. Okay, it needs to go to the left. No, 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 the other left. Like, it's just not working. God has confused their language. In fact, I thought we could illustrate this this morning if I could get a few volunteers to come and join me on the stage. Uh, I saw a few weeks ago we had a guest speaker here, Will McDaniel, and he was just like calling you all up. All right, Lori, you spent some time on the stage. Rochelle, some of you guys. Like, he's just calling people up on the stage. I was like, I can do that? <laughs> so I thought I would do that this morning. So here's the, here's the exercise I thought we would do together is, as we're talking about Tower of Babel and God confuses their language, if I could get a volunteer who speaks a language other than English fluently, I'll have you come up and I'll have you describe something to a person who doesn't, they'll get another volunteer who doesn't know that language. Okay, does that make sense? So, could I get a volunteer who has a language other than English that you speak fluent? So this could be French, it could be German, it could be Spanish, it could be Pennsylvania Dutch, and like 70, 70 people in here go, I know that language, that's what I speak. The other thing I noticed is that um, Will just started calling people out of the crowd when he didn't see the hands that were, <laughs> that were going up. So, Marty, you've got a language. Would you come and help us? Awesome. Thank you. Let, let's show our appreciation for Marty Mass coming up to... And we can actually use these, we can actually use these mics right here. Um, okay, so your, the language you have is the Amish language, right? Dutch? 
Um, so we need someone. Now, this might be a harder task is finding someone who doesn't have any, who doesn't have any of that knowledge. Um, and you're, and you're going to listen to what Marty is, is explaining. So can I get a volunteer? Who doesn't know, who doesn't know any of the, of the Dutch? We all, Phil, you don't have any? No cheating here. All right, Phil Roberts, let's show our appreciation for Phil. All right, let's see if we can simulate to Tower of Babel. So, Phil, come right on up here. You can, we'll, we'll use these mics if we need them. All right, now, Phil, I want you to close your eyes because I want to give an assignment to Marty for something he's going to describe to you. So, Phil's going to close his eyes. This is, this is not like a, a cruel prank or trick or anything. <laughs> this is, this, this is a, a genuine demonstration. Yeah, so, Phil, you close your eyes, and Ryan, show us. Okay, so Ryan, take that off the screen. Thank you. Okay, Phil, you can open your eyes. So Marty has an assignment uh, that we showed on the screen. So the, the crowd, we know what he's... What he's so, and Marty, just in, in word, you know, using words, try not to use too many gestures, um, walk through the various steps that you would need to take in order to accomplish said, said task. To, to, in, in Dutch. In Dutch, okay. Let's see if I can do this. Okay. Nem de vesh. Nem de nevo. Duzi in the... In the vesh. Do some safe now. And no... Treff the button. And set sting videos fit. And no such goods have a gear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so is that the whole, is that the... He, yeah, I mean, that's... Okay. Yes. Um, so, Phil, you probably have no, no guesses on, on what he's, he's explaining for you to do. Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Marty, maybe run through it again, and if you want to use some gestures, or mm -hmm. is, there, is there a way you could get him to understand? He doesn't know the language. Is there any mm -hmm. way you could get him to understand? I mean, I could in, insert a couple English words that would probably give him a clue. Insert a few English uh -huh. words, use maybe motions or gestures or okay. something, but maybe try again, because he's, you're, <laughs> you guys are, you know, imagine you're working together here, and your partner has no clue what's going on. Okay. So, uh, nem that basket. Do spanish the washer. Do the all in the in the washer. No, do some some soap now. No, draft the button, the power button, and stadevish. All right, Phil, you got to do what you got to do. What he said to do. What are you gonna? What are you doing? I'm doing the wash. All right, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you for being such good sports about that. Um, I just, I imagine this scene where people who need to get some things done together, shoulder to shoulder, and all of a sudden it's like, hello, what are you saying? I have no clue what is going on here. So let's continue with our study in Genesis chapter 11, this story of Tower of Babel. And, and really, I should point out right here, this is a story, a true story, that really highlights 
the desire for human independence from God. We can do this, we can do it our way, and we can do it for our glory and for our fame. Rather than trusting God to lead them. You want us to spread out? You, you want us to, to subdue the earth, have dominion over creation, work, work the soil, do all of these things, have these adventures, and yet, no, we're going to just stay right here in this little plane, and we're going to erect a tower that's going to make us famous. Instead of trusting in the Lord to lead them, they're putting their confidence in their own technology, in their own ability, in their own effort. And so I think there's a message there for us today. If we look closely at the passage, you see very clearly their motivation. And so let's keep, continue reading through this verse 4. We're in Genesis chapter 11. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So it's right there. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to demonstrate their achievements. They bought into the lie that Satan whispered to Eve in the garden, you will be like God. That's what they wanted to do. It was fueled by pride. They wanted to ascend into heaven. They wanted to get close to the stars. It was around this same time that the... The astrology began. Chuck Smith, who is the pastor in the new movie, Jesus Revolution, um, he says that the Tower of Babel was the beginning of religion. He says this is the beginning of religion. That, that this tower, and then there were many others, obviously, that followed in this region of the ancient Near East, that they were centers of worship to false gods. That they practice these study the stars and find find out your path and find out higher truths based on the pattern of the created order rather than the creator he also points out that religion always ends in confusion just like the people in this story and i think sometimes we get caught up in religion ourselves we get caught up in religion meaning Ritual and activity and those outward appearances, and they somehow become more important than a heart full of faith. I think I see that tendency in the church today, that sometimes we get caught up in religion. It's, it's the outward expression, it's the activity, it's the ritual, rather than the inward transformation, rather than a spirit and a heart that has a passion for our maker. God's people certainly struggled with that in the Bible. In fact, I want to invite you to come back next week. We're going to take a pause from our study in Genesis, and we're going to do a brand new sermon series in the book of Malachi. We're going to do three weeks, and we're going to see what happens when a religious system becomes more important than walking in grateful obedience to the Lord. So that starts next Sunday. Um, Fresh faith, book of Malachi. In it, we're going to learn from this minor prophet to love the things that God loves. So I'm really excited for that. I hope you'll join us, maybe even invite a friend to come. But the people here at the Tower of Babel, they were filled with pride, and God humbled them. And, and that is what we see, that is what is forecasted in the scriptures. You won't scatter, God says, then I'll scatter you. You want to build a tower for your glory? Then I'm going to halt construction. 
The Bible warns us time and time again against pride. Here's the truth from Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. And so the gifts and the abilities and the the things that God blesses us with, we use for his glory, not our own, to make his name great. Check this out. Today, no one knows a single name of a person associated with the Tower of Babel. We can't name one person that was behind it, that was engineering it, that was laying a single brick, that was stomping on the clay and the straw, stamping it with an insignia. No one knows a single name of a person associated with the Tower of Babel, even though that was their goal, is to make their name great. And yet, in these, in these short nine verses, we see the name of the Lord five times. God's name is what prevails. And so we should live for the glory of God's name and not our own. Doing a little further research here, the tower they built most likely was a ziggurat. If you've studied uh, this area, this culture, you've probably heard of these. The ziggurat, it's, it's very similar to the pyramids in Egypt, but it is, it is different. They're, these are successive levels that were recessed so that you can essentially walk, you can ascend, or there would have been uh, potentially a set of stairs to go up as well. There's nothing on the inside. It's not like there are rooms there. It would have been bricks built, so it would have been hollow on the inside, and then from what I understand, they would backfill it with dirt. So it's just filled in, except for that little top area would have been a room, uh, again, for observing the stars or for rituals associated with worship. But you could walk to the top of this, And then, yeah, typically there's some sort of shrine at the top dedicated to. These then began to pop up in that region, and it would have been geographically based. So the ziggurat in this area is dedicated to this god. And the ziggurat in that area is dedicated to that god. They really were a marvel in the ancient world. Archaeologists have discovered amazing ruins of these. um, and, And they really speak to the ingenuity and the innovation of their culture. Now, in their culture, they believed, and that's why we see these constructed, is that, that mountains, that high places were sacred. And so they decide, we'll fabricate it. If, if we believe that the high places, the mountains, are sacred places, then we'll just build one ourselves. We'll build that which is sacred with our own hands. And I think, how silly. Like, how revered, how holy, how sacred could something be that I constructed? <laughs> I'm going to build it with my own hands, and then I'm going to marvel at it. How powerful could the God be that they dreamed up? We built this ziggurat. We say that the God of this area, of this ziggurat, is so-and-so, and we're then going to worship it. I carved the idol that represents this God, and then I'm going to bow down to it. It seems so silly. And yet, how often do we do Worship at the altar of human achievement. Humans just have this way of coming up with poor substitutes for what God creates. So if you think about it this way, no brick is going to outlast a stone. No ziggurat is going to be more majestic than the Alps. (laughs) But so often we focus on material things and things that we've crafted and things we've achieved. Things that we can see and feel and smell and taste. But Jesus warns us very clearly in the Gospels to not put our hope in material things. 
Here's what he says in Matthew 6. He says, says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. So Jesus makes it clear. Having the wrong treasures leads to our hearts being in the wrong place. Rather than stacking brick upon brick of material possessions, we need to be investing in heaven by doing kingdom work, by building his kingdom stone by stone. I love this quote from Martin Luther. He once said, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all, but whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So let me share a few thoughts as we sort of wind down with this really familiar story of the Tower of Babel and God confusing the language and thwarting the construction of this temple made to celebrate human achievement to make a great name for themselves. The first is this. Our tendency is self-reliance. And there's something freeing about confessing that. And maybe you're in the same place that I am there. It's like, my tendency is self-reliance. How many times, time and time again, do I just rely on self? I go back to what I can do, what I am capable of. And think about this. Where does it leave you? Tired? Weary? Broken? When we rely on self, we quickly are fatigued. And I think sometimes it's only when we reach the end of self that God breaks through in the biggest way. It's that blessed are the poor in spirit. Like it's when we reach the end, we say, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted and frustrated. So let me just suggest to us this morning that we don't need to wait until God comes down and thwarts our plans so dramatically as he did at Babel. That we can ask for God's help and guidance and presence and God's provision. But let's recognize this morning and even confess it before the Lord. My tendency is self-reliance. And oh Lord, I need you. But what good news we have, and this is the second point as we kind of conclude our study, that God invites us to a place of complete trust. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, he says, I will give you rest. It is when we come to him that we find rest. And I'm not talking about a Sunday afternoon nap. That's maybe reflective of a heart position before God. I'm talking about rest for our souls, where our spiritual adversary can no longer antagonize us, but we are safe and we are secure in Christ. But how tempting it is to have partial trust. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. But it always seems to be, so Jesus plus my bank account can really do some things. Jesus, plus my expertise and education, can do some things. Jesus, plus my ideas and my action plans. Jesus, plus our religious activities. Complete and utter reliance and trust in him. Nothing that we do. It's a surrender to him. Listen, I want want us to hear this clearly this morning. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. And yet, why do we act like that? 
There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. You don't impress God with all your righteous acts. You don't impress him when you help others, when you sing songs of praise, when you read your Bible. Those are all good things. We do those things. But it's not like you're saying, look at me, God, see what I've done. And God says, yeah, well, I owe you something. You don't impress God. Your righteous acts, the scriptures say, are nothing more than filthy rags. Why? Because God's standard is perfection. His standard is perfection and we all fall short. By the way, in verse 6 of this passage in Genesis 11, when the Lord talks about nothing they plan to do will be impossible, I think really what he's saying here is there's no measuring the depths of their sin. I think really that's what, what God is saying. I think it's like there is no stopping their propensity for wickedness. Now, again, remember, the Lord has just flooded the earth and wiped everyone out except for Noah's family, and he's promised not to do that. So I imagine the Lord like, well, that's off the table. I'm not going to flood again. And so the language dispersion is the vehicle through which God says, I got to stop them. I got to spread them out because there's no telling what wicked Things they could get into. I think that's what the Lord is getting into. And so he uses this, this language barrier to, pe- to keep people or curb people from falling headlong into rampant rebellion. And even here in this story, we see, oh, how good and loving and gracious and merciful is our God. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. And so Again, here's the good news. Our tendency is self-reliance, but God invites us to a place of complete and total trust. He invites us into a relationship with him. Even though we've done wrong and separated ourselves from him, even though we've fallen short of his standard to be in relationship with God, to be at one with him, we need perfection, no blemish. But that only happens through his son, Jesus. His, His perfect son, The one who came and and walked among us, who was like the Lamb of God, and he takes away the sin of the world. He willingly gave his life on the cross so that we wouldn't have to be forever separated from God in hell, but that when we put our trust in him, eternity in God's presence is what awaits. If if you want to make that choice today, if maybe you're, you're not currently sure of where you stand with God, I want you to know our prayer team is going to be available after the service. Or maybe you have a burden that you're bearing. Come. We invite you to lay your burden down at the foot of the cross. It would be our honor to pray with you today. Please know we will be here in the front willing to pray after the service. Here's what the scriptures say. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, one final thing I want to point out this morning as we wrap up is that the things that truly matter are eternal things. They're not things you can see and and feel and build. It's not a, a, a tower that you've constructed that you can say, wow, what a feat of ingenuity. It's when Jesus is Lord of your life, those towers, those brick and mortar buildings, they're really not important anymore. Building is still important. It's just building his kingdom is what's important. It becomes your soul passion. Bricks are going to crumble. In fact, generations are going to be forgotten. I mentioned that already. No one knows a single name of a person who was at the Tower of Babel. 
a few generations from now, people might not remember us. Wealth fades. Your body's going to wear out. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, we will have a house in heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself, not made by human hands. The things that really matter are things that are eternal. So let me go back to my original question. What would you do if you had a fresh start? Clean slate. And whatever your answer is, and it varies person to person, I want to implore us, let's learn from Genesis 11 this morning. Let's learn from, really, the mistakes made by the people here in the, at the Tower of Babel. Let's seek God's glory, not our own. Let's store up treasures in heaven, not ones on earth. Let's try to avoid the mess they got themselves into by choosing we're going to surrender our will to God and we're going to do things God's way. And so maybe you feel like you're already in the middle of a mess right now. What good news that God restores. That no matter what it is, God has a solution and a plan. If only you turn to him. Maybe you feel like you could use a fresh start. God is ready to offer one. All you have to do is ask. Ask his forgiveness. Ask his grace and mercy. You can begin again today. If you're not giving him lordship over every area of your life, today is the day that he would seek your heart and know you. And as you turn to him, Maybe even in brokenness, he will give you that second chance. That The Lord will do his work. Again, we're this side of eternity where God stands ready to do that work of shaping and refining and discipline and correction now. Why? So that you will have a place with him for all of eternity. You're like a living stone being built into God's eternal house. Oh, that we would give him the honor and the glory both now and forevermore. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you this morning so thankful for the good news that you are a God who gives fresh starts and new beginnings and clean slates. Not that we can undo the past, but Lord, that you can heal the places where we're broken. That you forgive the places we've messed up. And so, Lord, I pray today that we would learn from the poor example of these people in Genesis 11, building a tower unto themselves, relying on human achievement. Lord, we know that you will humble the proud. So I pray this morning you would not find us proud of heart, relying on self, but choosing to come humbly before you, declaring our great need. Thank you, Lord, for your compassion Thank you, Lord, that you are near to us in the valleys and on the mountaintops. Thank you, Lord, for your beautiful created order, the seas and the animal kingdom, the mountains, the falling white snow right here in Wayne County, that you are Lord over it all. 
and that you call us to this great adventure to go out as ambassadors for you. Lord, help us not to cloister together and stay in the safe places in our comfort zones, but Lord, that by your spirit, we would venture out into the places you call us with a boldness and a courage for you. Lord, I pray you would do this in us and through us, and I pray you would do it for your glory and for your kingdom and for your name's sake. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.